We're going to get into our study right now. Um, we're in a series called 10 Words, and this is part three of our series. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to take just a short amount of time at that, in that passage and then skip around to some other passages of Scripture. But we're in this series right now on the Ten Commandments, or have we, as we've titled them, the Ten Words. Um, and in this, in this series, we've called it the Ten Words because that's what it's referred to in, in the Scripture. We know them traditionally as the Ten Commandments. Both of those ways, of, you can call them the Ten Words, you can call them the Ten Commandments. Both of them are correct. I talked about a study last, I think it was last Sunday, that there was a survey done. A thousand people were surveyed. This was in the year, I think, 2006 or 2007. And in the survey, they were, people were being quizzed on whether or not they knew the Ten Commandments. And I told you last week that more people knew the ingredients to the Big Mac, the seven ingredients to the Big Mac, than they knew the Ten Commandments. And maybe that's, maybe that's unfair because there's ten of one and seven of the other, you know. But more people knew that the two all beef patty special sauce, I can't remember the rest of it, what is it? Well done, now do the Ten Commandments. No, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to do that to you. Um, well done, well done. And then, and then more people, and this is even easier, but definitely far more people, something like 75% of the people surveyed knew the names of the Three Stooges. Larry, Moe, and Curly, that's an easy one. Um, how about this? More people knew the names of the six Brady Bunch children than the Ten Commandments. We're, we're, we're all testing ourselves in the room. I don't remember all of them. Um, but anyway, this is, this is sort of, this is a tragedy, right? That we don't, we don't know this and haven't internalized this enough to, to know them and we've been talking about different ways to remember them. I gave you a little, a little thing that you could do on your hands last, last Sunday. We'll do part three of that, and I'll remind you of the first two parts um, from a children's, literally a children's video I saw on YouTube that was about helping kids learn the Ten Commandments. Um, if we lived in a world where everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments without exception, that world would be a pretty unique place. It would be a pretty amazing place to live in. Our society would look very different than what it looks like. Like we, here's a few examples. You would not need to lock the doors on your home or on your vehicle if everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments, right? Because there'd be no stealing, right? The family structure would be stronger and healthier if there was, you know, honoring your father and mother and no, no adultery. That would have an impact on the families and the families would be stronger and healthier and the generational impact of some of the sins that we experience in our culture would just disappear, right? There wouldn't, that wouldn't be there anymore. What about if someone told you something and you could always believe them because everyone obeyed the Ten Commandments and there was no lying, right? What would politicians do? What would they, what would they do in such a, you know? Um, anyway, sorry, that was maybe a low blow or something. I don't know if we have any politicians present or watching online, but um, we, we, this is... What world would be pretty good, right? And we, we've talked about this. We've broken these commandments. That if we're, if we're, you know, we say, I've never murdered anyone. All you got to do is read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you've said a hateful word towards somebody, it's like you've committed murder in your heart towards them. Jesus raises the stakes. The topic of his sermon, by the way, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is the Ten Commandments. He's, he's speaking this like as if his text of the sermon is the Ten Commandments. And he says, you've heard it said this, 
but I tell you this. And he raises the stakes and he tells them that, hey, we've all broken these commands. We are, everyone without exception is in need of a savior and a need of God's grace. But then God's grace appears in our lives and it calls us to live a life. After we receive our salvation, we're given this new identity, we're given the Holy Spirit. We are called to live godly, righteous, holy lives, which guess what? That looks a lot like the Ten Commandments. And that's why the Ten Commandments were used in church history traditionally to teach people how uh, just to understand and how to live a moral life, basic ethics. Like what is the difference between right and wrong? The Ten Commandments played this really important role in teaching children how, like what Christians believe and what morality looks like, as well as new believers. So even in the very early days of the church, the Ten Commandments were used as this teaching tool to explain what it looks like to, to, to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. Knowing that we've failed, we've broken them, we need God's grace, but now that we've received God's grace, in gratitude, we want to live lives of righteousness, lives of morality, lives of character that looks an awful lot like those Ten Commandments. Remember that God did not give the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments in order to save them. It was not like part of the deal where, he, where Moses showed up with some tablets and he said, hey, everybody, God's got some good news for you. You're going to be delivered, but I want you to obey these Ten Commandments first. And if you do a really good job for the next five years, then God will rescue you. No, they've been rescued. They're standing in front of Mount Sinai and they receive, they hear the, the voice of God, the thundering and all of this. And God speaks his will towards them. And he says, this is what saved people's lives should look like. This is a response to their, their salvation, a response to their rescue. And so with all of that in mind, let's dive into the third word from God, the third commandment or word, which is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. All right, no cussing, everybody. Let's pray. Just kidding. Let's talk about this a little more. I told you I'd give you a little memory aid for last time. We said the first commandment, if you want to do this with me, you're welcome to. If you're not one of those kind of people that wants to do this kind of thing in a church service, that's okay too. But one, the first commandment, if you hold up one finger, no other God before me. God is number one. Okay, that's the first commandment. The second commandment, if you hold up another finger next to it and then bow down to the one finger, then you're reminded that, hey, no bowing, no idols, right? No idols, no graven images. That's the second commandment. If you hold up three fingers like this, then you get something that looks like a W in addition to the three fingers. And that should remind you about your words and the way you use your words. And do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, that's the third commandment. It looks like a W. And the way we've typically heard this taught is about the cussing thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a few moments and specifically using God's name in that way. But I think there's even more to this that we'll unpack as we go through this morning. I, I want to think about our words broadly, more broadly for just a few moments here. If you read through the scriptures, you get the impression that your words have great power. You can read James, you can read Jesus' teachings where he talks about out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings, or that, that was James, um, and how uh, it, and Paul, the Apostle Paul all over the scripture, and then in the book of Proverbs, you get an impression of how powerful your words can be. And I think it's 
You know, you ever have those thoughts like in the, in the shower or just like you're, you're reflecting, you go, this is really weird that we do this as humans. But I was thinking as I was preparing the sermon that it is strange that we can make sounds using our lungs, our vocal cords, our lips, and our tongues, sometimes our teeth, and I can make sounds. And then you hear the sounds with your ears and your brain processes it and you have an idea in your head that I put there using my words, which is just bizarre, right? You think about that like, wow, that God designed us in this way. And so words are powerful just in that way, but words have the power to bring good things into people's lives or to harm them. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit." its fruits. Paul Tripp, a Bible teacher, he says, you have never spoken a neutral word in your life. Either your talk brings life or brings death. And not literally, right? We, we don't say words and then people fall down dead. That's pretty rare, I would think, right? But you can bring, your, you can say something to someone that lifts their spirits, that gives them life. Or you can speak words over somebody or towards somebody that brings death, that, that brings them down, that, that hurts their spirit, that hurts their soul. Your speech matters. Your words matter. You can bring joy and life to people, or you can bring great amounts of pain and grief. Proverbs says it another way in chapter 12, verse 18 of Proverbs. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We all know this, that, that our words can hurt or they can, or they can heal. Right? Your, your words have great power. We've all heard the phrase, likely, growing up. I don't know that we use this as often anymore, but sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. And by the way, how violent a poem is that? <laughs> sticks and stones breaking our bones? Like, what is this? What is this picture we're painting? Um, and the irony of that saying is that the reason we know that is that someone probably said something very hurtful to us or we said something hurtful to somebody else and they said it back to us. And so we know it's not true, that saying that, yeah, sticks and stones may break bones, but words can definitely hurt you. Like we, you probably, probably everybody in this room, if we were being really honest, could think of a few things said to them that really stuck with them and really hurt, maybe by a parent by, by a sibling, that just something that just lodged in your heart and in your mind that you're still not over with, over yet. You haven't overcome that yet, right? So our words have great power, but then I hope, I hope you have things that people have said to you or spoken over you that brought you joy and life and peace. And I hope that every now and then I say something like that in a sermon that sticks with you, that, that lifts you up that brings you healing, that brings you hope. So with that in mind, this idea that our words have great power, here's another strange thought for you. We have words that we've kind of agreed upon as a society that are like the naughty words, the bad words, right? We've decided culturally that certain words are wrong. There's blasphemy, right, where we use God's name in a destructive or disrespectful way. Certainly we understand that. But I could unleash like a string of words from this stage this morning that would really change the atmosphere of the room, <laughs> right? And I, I know all of them, right? You've heard the phrase cuss like a sailor. Like I, you know, I know them. I heard them all. I know them all. Um, I know the words. I could say them and it would just really change our morning 
Um, I'm not going to, right? And Christians historically have, have been careful about the words that they use. And Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That we, we need to speak, be careful that no corruption is coming out of your mouth, that the Christian's way of speaking should be unique and should be distinct, and we should be careful about those kinds of words that we say and about how we communicate because we're representing Jesus to the world. And, and traditionally, this has been something that's mattered to Christians about the kinds of words that you say. In Isaiah chapter 6, we're not going to turn there, but um, the prophet Isaiah is preparing to deliver a message to the nation of Israel. And as he's doing this, he's, there's this moment in Isaiah 6 where he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robes filled the temple with glory. And then Isaiah has a strange response which he says, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And he, in this moment, is so aware of his own speaking and the way that it falls short of the holiness of God. And, he's, and the angel comes and takes a coal from the altar and cleanses his lips because he has a message to deliver to the nation. So we've talked about our words. Our words have power. We should be careful about the words that we use. But specifically, this command is about the name of God. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Names matter, and the name of God in this case certainly matters. But if you think about just your own name, this is a a kind of a fun getting to know you question, by the way. If you want to get to know something about a person you're with here in church, or this is the kind of question we would use at Alpha around our tables, is, hey, what is the significance of your name? Does your name have any kind of significance? Like, where, why, why are you named what you're, what you're named? And you will hear all kinds of stories, right? It like, I think just my parents liked the way it sounded. They just liked it. Or there's a family member that I'm named for, or I'm named in honor of someone or something, or they're uh, things like this. I, one example of stories that I heard from this, I had a friend of a friend, a, a, a friend of a classmate of mine, um, that had two children and was expecting her third child. And so her first two children, one was named Logan and one was named Leisha. And she was questioned, hey, what are you going to name your baby? And she goes, I'm not sure, but I know no L names. And then what do you think her daughter's name was when she was born? Noel. How about that? Noel. I've had the distinct privilege with my wife and I to give names to three humans, which is another profound thought this morning. I think it's profound. Maybe you don't. Like to to bestow upon another human, this is your name now. This is what people will refer to you as. When people hear this name, they will think of you, right? That's a pretty amazing privilege and and something that I still think is is being very profound. And I had some kind of rules about the names that I was going to give, things that I would think about when, when my wife Pam and I discussed, you know, what should the names be? And one was that I wanted it to be hard to make fun of, right? Shouldn't rhyme with one of those bad words we referenced earlier or something or, you know, be really easy to tease someone. I want to also be able to imagine a grown-up with that name walking up to me and saying, hello, my name is, 
and that name fits. Sometimes I think there's really great baby names that maybe don't quite fit as grown-ups, uh, but, I, but I, that was part of my rule too, and it might be an interesting conversation to hear from you, some of your rules about the ways that you use names. But here's another little one that maybe you thought of, maybe you haven't. This was one of our rules though. It could not be the name of anyone that like, we had bad experiences with as children. It's like, well, I love this name, but man, I, I always think of this person that was super rude to me or, you know, bullies growing up. And so for me, that took out the names Jeff and Danny. No offense to anyone in this room who might have those names. No, they don't go to this church, but they were mean to me as a kid. So those names were out, right? You think about, there's historical names that are just retired, right? Names from history that people do not use anymore. I've never walked up to somebody and I said, hey, my name is Judas, I think that name's retired. We don't, we don't use that name as humans anymore, right? In fact, that's a way of telling that someone did something really bad is their name is just out, right? I haven't met any Adolfs, for example, right? We know this because the name stands for the person. The name represents the person. And I had a classmate, the same classmate I was mentioning with the friend um, uh, who had a daughter named Noel, that she, she did a, a master's level research project um, it on people's names. And it was something that was so important to her. And she, she believed that someone's name, if you knew their name, it was like you're speaking the meaning of that name every time you greet that person. And so she took people's names very seriously. She talked about how important it was to pronounce their name correctly. Like if you meet someone from another country that has a very unique name, she, she would take the, the time to say, can you help me make sure that I'm pronouncing your name correctly? I really value this. And she believed that learning the, na- the meaning of someone's name really mattered because it was like you're speaking that over them every time you say that name. When we think about God's name, this, there's so much in the scripture about the name of God specifically that when when God is introduced to his people in the book of Exodus, when, before we get to the Ten Commandments, just a few chapters earlier, Moses is there at the burning bush. And he says, I'm going I'm to go to these people and I'm going to ask them to come with me and tell them that God has, is going to deliver them. This is in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Moses said to God, if I come to people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. If you're familiar with how the scripture Um, says the name of God. It's there in verse 15. It says, the Lord, the God of your fathers. And when you see Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And the tradition here is because of people that want to obey this third commandment and take the, not take the name of the Lord, our God in vain, they, they protect the name. And so the Jewish people, um, even still today, will not use that covenant name. They will not say Yahweh. They will always use a replacement. And that tradition carries forth in our English translations of the Bible. That's why it says Lord, not Yahweh. There are some Bible translations that will include the name Yahweh there. 
But because of tradition, because of how the Jewish people have respected God's name, they, they will use the word Lord or Adonai, which is another way of saying God's name without saying God's name. Even still, if you're, I'll be on some websites sometimes and I'll realize that, oh, this is put together by either a Messianic Jew or by a Jewish person because they will say G and then there will be a dash and then instead of spelling out God, it'll say G and then dash and then the letter D. This care for God's name is something that matters to Christians and should matter to Christians. Jesus told his disciples, his followers, he said, when you pray, here's here's a prayer you can use, right? The Lord's Prayer. And if you remember how the Lord's Prayer begins, our Father who art in heaven, what's the next part? Hallowed be your name or thy name, right? That there's this respect and awe and care for God's name, and certainly blasphemy, right? Like using God's name as a, as a, as a curse word or as a way of, of speaking in a disrespectful way about God. This is, should be off the table for Christians. But there's other ways, I think, that we devalue God's name. We, we can sometimes, people will say, make false oaths. They'll say, like, I'm, I'm going to, I swear to God, you know. They'll, they'll claim something is true and, and, and call upon God to bear witness to them, kind of like, I swear to God that this is what happened, right? This is a disrespectful way, certainly if you're not telling the truth, but even in the, in the case of using this, God's name in such a casual way, we, we should be careful to not do that. I think one other one that's a little bit unusual is claiming to speak on God's behalf um, that we, and, and to say something that's simply not true. It's definitely misusing the name of God. I've heard of this in, in Christian circles where, you know, someone will say, God told me, and they'll use it in a very casual way, and it's like, hey, hey, maybe. I hope you're hearing from God very clearly, um, but, but I think we should be careful even when using that phrase, that, that if we say God told you, you better believe or you better mean that God told you, because don't, don't say that in a casual way. This really, really matters. God's name is important. God's name should be held holy and precious. This matters to us. Now, I want to twist this a little bit for what we, where we've been going. We've been talking about using God's name specifically and, and being careful about how we use it. But there's an Old Testament scholar um, named Carmen Joy Iams, and she's a professor, I believe, at Fuller Theological Seminary. But she's someone who's worked with the Bible Project people. So if you've been doing our Bible reading plan, there's all these Bible Project videos. And Carmen Joy Iams is a scholar that they've referenced. They, they use her research uh, in a number of these um, a number of their, their research things that they put together in order to make these videos. And she talks about this idea in her book called Bearing God's Name. And she brings some more context out to us because she makes a claim that this is not necessarily talking about, about blasphemy in the way that we speak. We do have plenty of Bible verses that we can reference for that. She says, I believe that this is referring to something a little bit different, a little bit unique from this. And she says that she, she references that passage we just read in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses receives the name of God to be able to tell to the people. He says, this is my name that I'm, I will be remembered by throughout all generations. God revealed himself to us by name, Yahweh, as the great I am. And that to know his name was to know him. In the ancient people, this would have meant so much to them to know the name of of their God, in this, this kind of personal name, was to know him. 
that he was the self-sufficient, self-sustaining one. And she said, for the people of, of Israel to hear this thing, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They would have thought of themselves as bearing God's name upon themselves. That they, to take the name of the Lord their God, was this idea of actually like wearing God's name. And if you think about how the priests were dressed in the Old Testament times, you had the priests there with the, the, the breastplate on their chest that had the different gems. Like this is all the stuff in Leviticus that sometimes it's tough to read if you're doing the Bible reading plan. But the high priest is wearing a turban and on the turban is holy to Yahweh, the words on his head. And then on his chest are the names of the tribes and, and these beautiful gems. And he's the go-between. The priest stands between God and the people, represents God to the people and the people to God. And the priest embodies this. And as he's doing this, he has, he's bearing God's name. He's taking the name of God upon himself. And this should have been for the nation of Israel a picture of what they were to be. They were to represent to the entire world that was watching them that they were like this priest. That if they followed the covenant, if they walked with God, if they obeyed him, they would show the world what God looks like and what it looks like to be in relationship with their God. Numbers chapter 6. I love, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. Here's the other verse though. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So Carmen Joy Imes in this, in this book and in her teaching, she, she pictures this as like almost an invisible tattoo that God's people have upon them. That for the nation of Israel, they had the covenant name of God, Yahweh, upon them. For followers of Christ, it's, we, we have Jesus, right? Uh, this, his name is upon us, right? All, all the members of the Trinity, if you want to say it that way. God's name is placed upon us, almost like an invisible tattoo, but it shows up the most in the way that you live your lives. That's how they'll see that God's name is upon you. And so this command, she, she argues, has to do with the way you conduct yourself, the way that you live your life, that your life and your character will proclaim to the world that God's name is upon you. I watched two basketball games yesterday, both played by Gonzaga, one for the women's team, one for the men's team. The women destroyed their opponent. The, the score was 104 to 39. They, sh they, they made the record of the most three-pointers in a game um, on, their, on their teams. There's 19 three-pointers by the women's team. It was amazing. The men's team, that, that game was discouraging if any of you were watching it, um, but it, it ended in a tragedy, you know, not really, but, you know, in the sports world, kind of, it was sad. But there's this, there's this, I bring this up to say there's this kind of metaphor that people will use when talking about sports. They'll say, are you pr playing for the name on the front of your jersey or the name on your back, the back of your jersey? And this means, right, like on the front of the jersey is the team that you play for. 
right? So for Gonzaga, it says Gonzaga or Bulldogs or something on the front of the jersey. And then on the back of the jersey is their name, right? Their, their own name. And so are you, which name are you playing for? Are you playing for your name or the team's name? And in a similar way, when we think about the, our Christian faith and this idea that God's name is upon us, that we are like those people in the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament times, we have God's name, the privilege of having God's name upon us. Do we bear that in vain? Do we take that seriously? God's name has power. We call upon God's name for salvation. That's what the book of Romans tells us. That that's how we receive the good news of Jesus. That's how we receive salvation is to call upon his name. When we pray, we get to pray in his name, in the name of Jesus. We get to pray that represents all of his authority and all of his power. There is nothing more powerful than the name of God. And do we realize that? Do we value that? Do we live that way? Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 is a, is a poem or a hymn that the Apostle Paul is writing here, reflecting on the name of Jesus and specifically this act of humility that Jesus has done where he came down to earth. He humbled himself and he became obedient. And I want you to notice how Paul talks about God's name, the name of Jesus in this passage. He says this, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is picturing a, a, a future day where every knee will bow to the name, the name which is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We are the followers of Christ to do that now. We respect his name now. We bow our knees to him now and we say we are your followers. We respect this. We take this. We claim this upon ourselves and we want to live our lives in a way that matches that. The glory and the power of your name and the fact that we can come before you and pray in your name. We value that. We're so grateful for that. Let's pray right now in his name. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time of considering this commandment, Lord, these words that you gave to your people long ago and, and what they mean for us today and how to live this out. And Lord, I pray that you would help us with this, Lord. We've been talking about several things this morning, about the importance of our words and how those words matter and they have power in them. And, and so, Lord, I pray, Lord, for all of us that we, the ways that we fall short, the ways that we say unkind things or the way that we hurt people with our words, that, that, Lord, you might purify that in our lives, that we might submit that to you and say, I need that to be transformed as well. Holy Spirit dwelling within us, Lord, bear the fruit that results in the kindness and the goodness and the things that you are, are, can, can create in our lives through a relationship with you. Walking with you, you transform all of us, including our speech, including the way that we communicate with people. Lord, may we speak words of life and not words that bring death or harm to people. And Lord, may we honor your name. May we honor your name in the way that we speak. May we speak it with respect, and, and may our speech be distinct in that way. May it not just match perfectly with what the way the world communicates and the way the world speaks. But may we speak words seasoned with salt, as your word says, 
and words of life and truth. And, and Lord, may the fact that we bear your name, that your name is upon us, Lord, may that, may that change the way we think about ourselves. May that change the way we represent ourselves to the world. That we have this almost invisible tattoo, so to speak, Lord, that, that your name is on us as the people of God. And that's a special thing, Lord. May we feel gratitude when we consider that and what it means. And Lord, I pray for any in this room or anybody watching online or listening to the sermon later, Lord, that hasn't put their, their faith in you yet. Lord, your word says that we can call upon your name. You've revealed yourself to us. You've showed us who you are. You've showed us what love is like and what love truly means that, that you gave yourself for us so that we could have life in your name. Lord, if there's anyone here who, who needs to put their faith in you, Lord, may they do that even right now. May they say, yes, I want that. I'm calling on your name. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me. Give me your, your life. I thank you, Lord, that we can have this relationship with you where we relate to you by name. We can, we can hallow your name. We can call you our Father in heaven, Lord, this title for you, but we know you as Yahweh. Lord, this full revelation of, of your son Jesus and getting to know you in that way and then being given your Holy Spirit. What an amazing way of relating to our creator and thank you that you've made that possible. Thank you that we can have this life in you. Lord, help us to take full advantage of that. Help us to live this out. May it affect every single day of our lives, Lord, not just Sundays. We thank you, Lord, for this time of reflecting, this time of considering these deep truths, this time of worshiping you. And I pray that you'd help us as we offer you this final song of worship this morning. May we praise your name. May we bring you glory. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me, everybody?